Today, we're going to be talking about money, everyone's favorite subject. Uh, and so uh, one of the fun things to talk about when you start talking about money and American culture is to talk about hip-hop and the way hip-hop artists talk about money. Yeah. Uh. Uh, and so I thought I'd bring some of my favorite quotes. What I love about hip-hop is it explains the struggle of where people are been and where people are going. But also, we have some really uh, succinct insights into uh, how Americans generally think about money. And maybe you've never really said this, maybe you have, but I want to share with you a few fascinating quotes. And as a uh, white person that grew up in the suburbs, you're going to love this. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'll do my best. But I love hip-hop. Uh, you know, it's just so, uh, you know, it's just wonderful the way they talk about money and cars and people of the opposite sex. So I've got a quote for you here. Uh, let's open with that first one. It's over here, the Wu-Tang Clan. Wu-Tang, Wu-Tang, forever. Look at what this is. This is from Cream. Cash rules everything around me. Cream, get the money. There it is. There it is. Hundred dollar bills, y'all. All right, how about another one? Let's give another one. The second one. Okay, okay. This is uh, Jay-Z from his song, Click. Ain't nobody messing with my click, 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 click. And they don't do it like my... Uh, Mother honoring click, click, <laughs> click. And then he has this one line in his head. And so uh, Big Sean goes, and then he goes second. And then Kanye, uh, Pastor Kanye goes third. Uh, and he says, me, turn that 62 to 125, 125 to a 250, 250 to a half a million. Can't nobody do with me now. Who with me? Vamanos, call me Hover, halfway. Translation, I'm the poop. I couldn't put that in there. That's what he says. But he says it differently. He uses a different word for poop. Okay, next one, another Jay-Z. This one's called African-Americans in Paris <laughs> because I can't say what it really is. Uh, and I wouldn't want to, but uh, African-Americans in Paris is the song. And this is Jay-Z. Uh, he's also with Pastor Kanye in this one, uh, pre- pre-Christ Pastor Kanye. And, and the boss so hard since we here, it's only right that we be fair. Psycho, I'm liable to go Michael, take your pick. Jackson, Tyson, Jordan, game six. Ball so hard, got a broken clock. Rollies don't tick tock, automaz it's losing time, hidden behind all these big rocks. So basically what we see here is that he's <laughs> So for those of us who don't understand what's going on here, let me just break this down for you. Jay-Z in the song African Americans in Paris, what we see is that he sees himself as one of the greatest Michaels, even though he's not his name is Michael, but there's so many great Michaels. You have Michael Jackson, tee, you have <laughs> Tyson, Mike Tyson, everyone's got a plan to get punched in the face. And then you got Jordan, who was unbelievable in a game six one time. And then he goes on to say he balls so hard. Like he flashes, he has, his, he has a broken, his clocks don't work. His Rolexes, they just flow. But, and he has Audemars that are losing time because there's so much gems from the earth around him that he no longer has the ability to tell time. And so, anyway, praise God, praise God. Uh, I think we got it. I think you go out uh, another one here. I got another one. Um, oh, yeah. This one's really popular in our house. Mare loves this song. Lil Nas X featuring Billy Ray Cyrus. You might know his daughter, Miley. Uh, hat down, cross town, living like a rock star. Spent a lot of time. Uh, spent a lot of money on my brand new guitar. Baby's got to have it. D- Diamond rings and Fendi sports bras. Riding down Rodeo in my Maserati sports car. So the view of money here is uh, his wife enjoys, again, diamonds and uh, 
very expensive undergarment apparel along with very expensive sports cars. And then lastly, I think this is the most interesting of them all. The next slide is blessings. This is my big Sean. So he connects his money with what God is doing in him. He says, the drinks are the coldest. Uh, I think those are non-alcoholic uh, drinks. Uh, so it's like so it's your fruit juice, you know, your high C. So uh, Kool-Aid man. The future's the brightest. The feet not divided. The love is divided. And I just got it. Thank God that we got it. I don't know what I would do without it. Next slide, please. Uh, crew look like we robbed a bank, but all we make is deposits. Your profit, we profit. Oh, God. And then... <laughs> So like he starts to turn and then uh, Drake comes in. I'm here for a good time. Not a long time, you know, I, and then he goes on to say, I'm way up. I feel blessed way up. I feel best. So, so they're making so much money and they believe that God has given them this money. Now, so that's it. Yes. What do you think of my rapping skills? So good. So good. So good. So, all right. So when we talk about, when we talk about rap or when we talk about money and we talk about what we see in American culture, Most people think that when it comes to money, God and money, the two should never touch. Sacred and secular, they're meant to be kept apart. Never the two shall meet. And what we think is, some people think, is that God cares about the Bible. He cares about churches stuff. And he cares about being nice to people. But what I do with my money is my business. God has his business. I have my business. I want to buy a new G-Wagon, G-Wagon, G-Wagon. I can go buy a G-Wagon, G-Wagon, G-Wagon. It's my investment, my wages, my debt, my purchases, anything dealing with money. That's my business. I have my business and God has his business. So it's a surprise to people when they hear that God cares about our money. Our money is important to God. Did you know That money is mentioned in the Bible more than sex? Did you know that money is mentioned in the Bible more than marriage? Did you know that Jesus, when he was here on earth, he mentioned money more than he did prayer or faith, even heaven and hell? Why does the Bible mention money so frequently? Why is money such a big deal? Why did Jesus talk about money so much? Well, Jesus understood that money literally affects every area of our life. It affects us spiritually and physically and relationally and emotionally. And now let me just provide you with one example of how money is connected to us relationally. Now, according to a recent study of counselors, there are three major reasons why married couples don't work out and why married people get divorced. I think I have a slide for you. You can follow along. There's three. The leading causes of divorce are one, basic incompatibility. incompatibility. Excuse me. The second is infidelity. Uh Uh-oh. And the third is money issues. All the other issues, emotional or physical abuse or parenting issues or addictions, they all lag way behind compared to these three issues. And counselors say that over a third of all divorces are usually because of unresolved financial issues. Finances affect us relationally. They affect us in every other area of our life. Now, the reason that money is important to God is it is not just because it impacts every area of our lives. God is interested in our money because our money is owned by God. 
That's the second point for you. If you're following along, you can fill this in. It says, our money is owned by God. From beginning to end, the Bible tells us that God is the owner of everything, and God owns everything in the world, and that includes our money. Here are just three examples of hundreds of examples that we read about in God's word. Look at what it says in Psalm 24. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. In Deuteronomy 10, it says, to the Lord your God belong the heavens and the earth, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. And in Haggai 2, 8, it says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty God just doesn't own the universe. He owns our money too. Our money doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. We are handling God's money. In fact, we don't own anything. We have everything on loan from God. Every person we love, every purchase we make, every job we have, every possession, all of our money, it's actually on loan from God. We get to use it. We get to enjoy it while we're here on earth. But after that, when we die, it goes away. We don't actually own it. So I want to offer you a perspective on how to think about what we actually own and don't own and what God actually owns. And so what if after the service, when you go out to your car, you would say, hey, this isn't my car. This is God's car. And maybe if you make food and you put it on plates or you just eat out of your hand like some savage, uh, maybe you have plates and you say, hey, these plates aren't my plates. These plates are God's plates. And when you go to bed and you lay on your bed, you say, hey, this bed isn't my bed. It's God's bed. And he loaned it to me and I can have it and I'm here to enjoy it. And I get to manage it, but it belongs to God. What if you would adapt that perspective on all of your belongings, including your money? Well, here's what will happen to you. Your anxieties and your worries will decrease. Why? Because if it belongs to God, it belongs to God. Say you, for instance, say you get into a fender bender and you hit someone with your car uh, and or they hit you with your car. You say, God, this is your car. It got hit. It's not my car. It's your car. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to sell it? Do you want me to get it repaired? Do you want me to go do something else that I wasn't expecting? God, everything belongs to you. And when you do this type of thing with your possessions, it very changes the very nature that you relate to your possessions, and it gives you a healthier perspective. Now, our money is important to God. Our money is owned by God. How then should we approach money, God's money? So let's take a look at today's main text here. It's found in Matthew 6, and it's Jesus talking to us, and he's talking in something called the Sermon on the Mount, and here's what he says. He says in Matthew 6, starting in verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one or love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Well, Today, I'd like to talk to you about four approaches to God's money. 
four approaches to God's money. Now, in these verses, we could essentially apply this to everything. Possessions, we could apply it to relationships, how we view ourselves in the world. But just to keep things really clear, today we're going to focus on these verses as it pertains to our money. Look with me in verse 19 again. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The first fill in the blank for understanding the four approaches to God's money is this. We see that Jesus invites us to not trust money. Don't trust money. Treasures on earth are a problem. Why? Because treasures on earth break. Treasures that you own get lost and treasures you own can get stolen. And Jesus says, never put your security in something you can lose. Cars are depreciating assets. Houses can be destroyed. Markets can change. And you can be the victim of financial fraud. And what Jesus is saying here is like, look, if you want to be secure, here's how you do it. Don't beat your security in something you can lose. If you really want to be secure, the center of your life has to be built around something that can never, ever be taken away from you. And the only thing that can never be taken away from us is what? Well, Christians believe that the only thing that can never be taken away from us is our relationship with God. You can't get God to stop loving you. You can try, but you're going to fail because he's actually like better than you, even at loving yourself. You can try, but you will fail. God's love is unconditional. It's eternal. It's not based on who you are, but it's based on who he is. And what Jesus wants us to do is to store up, not treasures on earth that's based on our little insecurities. He wants us to store up treasures in heaven. We are encouraged and invited to partner with the greatest being in the entire universe to store up treasures on heaven, in heaven, and not build our life around anything that we can lose. You can't lose God. You can't lose his love. So that is why we shouldn't trust money. The second thing we see Jesus talks about is we shouldn't love money. Don't love money. Um, let me talk to you about sin real fast. Super fun, right? Ooh, sin. Yeah. Sin. Sin is not just doing bad stuff. The deeper definition of sin is that it reveals in our hearts the greed and the pride Believing that we can take the stuff of life, our money, our possessions, our, the stuff of life, we believe that we can take that stuff and we can turn it into the ultimate meaning of life. Sin is a good thing turned into an ultimate thing that should you lose that thing, then life wouldn't be worth living anymore. In other words, and I've said this before, I'll say it again. Sin is not just doing the wrong things for the wrong reason. Sin can also be doing the right things for the wrong reason. Sin sometimes is misdirected loves. And whenever we misdirect our loves, whenever we build our security on something or somebody that we can lose, 
when we are setting ourselves up for disappointment because we've replaced our need for God and by filling it with the things created by God. For example, if there's a person, not anyone in this room, other people, uh, if there's a person out there and she builds her entire identity, her security around her wealth, she works hard to make money, she saves money, she even perhaps even spends money uh, thinking that uh, there, that money will continue on and it won't go anywhere. If she thinks that the money she makes today will be easily earned tomorrow, if she begins to con- connect her success and her value as a person to the size of her bank account, if she begins to feel a sense of entitlement through the acquisition of her funds, what happens if for any reason that money ceases to flow in? If one or more spouses loses a job, if the market takes a downturn, if she makes a bad investment, or what if she's wrongfully named in a lawsuit and she loses that lawsuit and she's required to pay a huge sum of money? What happens? Well, since her entire security is built around financial security, it's built around her money and her possessions, she will be crushed. She will be destroyed. Her life no longer has meaning. Trusting money is the same thing as trusting something that can destroy you or leave you or, uh, or like not deliver on what it promises. And this is a misdirected love. And Jesus says, don't do it. Don't love money. Don't turn it into an ultimate thing in your heart because it will ultimately disappoint you. And, and friend, let me say something to you. Um, I don't know, um, you know, um, I, I, I know that most of you aren't rich, but if you are rich today, good for you. I'm so happy for you. But for most of us who aren't rich, this is kind of like, you know, you know, you may not be building your sense of security around all the money you have, but it is still possible to build a sense of identity and security around the very little money that you have. So don't let this miss. Don't miss out on this because you can be really dirt poor and still be idolizing money to the point where it's causing misdirected loves in your life. So just think about that. So um, what do we do instead of loving money? Well, Jesus actually provides us with a few ways for us to consider not loving money. What do you do and what's more important than loving money? Well, and I'm going to give you one of them here. Um, For instance, a loving family is more valuable than money. So if you're not supposed to love money, what are you supposed to love? Well, let's just go with an obvious one. A loving family is more valuable than then money, look at Proverbs 15, 17. It says, better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. How many of us know a family that's got a lot of money, but they just can't get along? They can't even be seated at the same table. There's always backbiting and fighting and maneuvering and positioning for more of the cash. They don't really like each other. Their relationship is that they were born into a family with blood and now it's transactional just based on how much money the family has. And what Jesus is saying, what God's word says, is that being wealthy, you can have all the money in the world. It's not as valuable as having a loving family. A loving family is more important. What's another thing? What's another thing that God's word says that's more important than loving money? Well, integrity is more valuable than money. Integrity. Look what Proverbs 16, 8 says. It's better a little righteousness than much gain with injustice or uh, Proverbs 28, 6 says, better the poor 
whose walk is blameless than the rich whose ways are perverse. Why is integrity more important than money? Well, because a person who has integrity understands that their integrity before God is more important than money. Integrity is more valuable than money. A person who prioritizes integrity won't break the rules to make a few extra bucks or break a contract or go back on their word. How do we define integrity? Well, in this church, we've defined integrity as doing what you say you're going to do, doing it in the manner that it's supposed to be. Well, let me start that again. It's doing what you say you're going to do, when you say you're going to do it, and doing it in the manner that it's supposed to be done. How many of you are living lives of integrity? If you, and this is just a side note, this has nothing to do with money. If you want to stand out as a Jesus follower in LA, just follow these three things. Do what you say you're going to do, when you say you're going to do it, and do it in the manner that's supposed to be done. If you do those things, you could literally set yourself apart as a Christian in the city. How many times do people flake and not do what they say they're going to do? What if you, as a Jesus follower, made commitments and followed through with them? Let alone... If you allow doing what you say you're going to do, when you say you're going to do doing it in the manner it's supposed to be done to infiltrate the way you think about money, we would look very different. People go, what is it about you? Well, you would say, well, it is the gospel that's starting to work through me. Uh, I had an integrity check this week, and this one was awful. Um, so I don't know if you know this, but we rent this room. And to rent this room and the room over there for your kids, it cost us... Uh, per month, it costs us $5,880 a month. And that means we get it for like four to six hours. And that's just the, that's just the game. So, um, so we pay a little shy of $6,000 to do this service every month. Just, well, just, just to rent the building. Uh, and, um, and so a few weeks back, uh, this was actually, November 3rd was supposed to be a blackout date. We weren't supposed to have this room and we were like, what are we going to do? And so we were wrestling with it. And I just felt like there was something wrong with the scheduling between the district and the local school, uh, the, 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 cause the administration that works here is different than the district level. We go to the district to rent everything. And the school here is like, well, we have a different calendar or whatever. So I reapproach the district and say, hey, can we get November 3rd? It seems like there's something funny in your calendar. I don't think you guys have anything going on in this room. Sure enough, it was a mistake. So they added November 3rd back in. Yay, and you're all here today. We were able to do this service. But when I rescheduled November 3rd back in, the billing department didn't catch it. And so they, at the end of just a few, it's like last week, I'm writing this sermon, and I'm like, yes, integrity. And like, no joke, boop, this email comes in, and it says, here's your bill for the month of November and they didn't bill us $5,880. They only billed us $4,408. That's like a $1,400 difference. And the check was, I, the, the check in my spirit was, you know, uh, I could actually just like, there, since there's two separate parts, like I could just pay that amount and it would be fine. No one would ever know. And, it, you know, after all, we do pay quite a bit. And I had to wrestle with like doing the right thing. Well, maybe they just misbilled us and blah, 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 blah. And but something in my spirit, I was like, man, I'm going to have to sign up to pay more money. And it hurt so bad. And I had to send the email back and I said, hey, I, and I did it kind of neutral just in case, like, you know, but I was like, hey, I don't think this bill is right. Like, cause we're there for November 3rd. And then like, sure enough, like she came back. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll add that right in. Here's your new bill. <laughs> that was a $1,400 integrity check. 
That is hard. But what Jesus' followers are called to do, even when it's painful, is to do the right thing, is to not sacrifice our integrity, even when it costs God's people an extra $1,400. That is really hard. I mean, maybe $1,400 is nothing to you. Good for you. But for us, we're a new church. We're a new church. We're still growing and becoming something. And and that stuff's really hard. And so, you know, how do we, what's more important than love of money? Our integrity, keeping that intact. It's not worth $1,400. It's not worth $14 million. Uh, The third thing that's more valuable than money, and then we'll move on to the next point, is our relationship with God is more valuable than money. Proverbs 15, 16 says, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Well, Jesus' followers believe that what we get from the gospel, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus, is that we get a healthy and completely restored relationship with God. Christians see this relationship with God as something that is far more important and something that far outweighs money. Why? Because there is a love from God that can give us so much more than money ever could. Why? Because there is a power from God that can give us so much more than money ever could. The good news of Jesus has power to heal a broken marriage. Money does not. The good news of Jesus has the power to heal a broken friendship. Money does not. Money can buy the meeting, you know, so you can have lunch, but it actually cannot heal the broken relationship. The gospel of Jesus can deal with the feeling that we know that there's more to life than just us acquiring more possessions. Money cannot deal with that issue. And money cannot deal with the pain we've experienced from people who have sinned against us. Only the power of Jesus can deal with that. Now, I've used this illustration before, but I'm using it again. Brad Pitt is beautiful, and he has a lot of money, and he has a lot to say about this. Look at this interview with Rolling Stone. I have this quote uh, from him, and he says this. He goes, man, I know all these things are supposed to seem important to us. The car, the condo. It's hard to think that he doesn't have a house, that he bought a condo. Maybe he has a second rental property in Clearwater or Tampa Bay area or something. Uh, The car, the condo, our version of success. But if that's the case, why is the general feeling out there reflecting more impotence and isolation and depression and loneliness? If you ask me, I say toss all this. We got to find something else because all I know is that at this point in time, we are headed for a dead end, a numbing of the soul, a complete atrophy of the spiritual being. And I don't want that. So Rolling Stone responds to him and says, so if we're heading towards this kind of existential dead end in society, what do you think should happen? And then he comes back and says, hey, man, I don't have all the answers yet. The emphasis now is on success and personal gain. I'm sitting in it and I'm telling you that's not it. I'm the guy who's got everything. I know. But I'm telling you, once you've got everything, then you're just left with yourself. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It doesn't help you sleep any better and you don't wake up any better because of it. Friends, 
what we're doing here is we're believing that we have an answer to Brad Pitt's I don't knows. That there is something that is bigger and more powerful than you having all the money in the world. I know you want a little bit more. If I could just have a little bit more money, I get that. But let's fast forward that story. And when you get that, and then you get a little bit more and say, you're one in a billion people and you become the beautiful Brad Pitt and you make all the money in the world, you will still not have solved the existential spiritual crisis that lives in each of us. Only the good news of Jesus and recognizing that power of what he has done on the cross and that what he can do for us and through us, that is the only thing that will answer your life's deepest questions. So as you go out and try to get a raise this year, you should raise your sights to the one who made you. Because in that, you will find that a relationship with God is worth more than money. Um, Let's go to the third way. What do you say? Can we move on? Uh, The third way to approach God's money is this. Don't waste money. Matthew 6.19 says, Do not store for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, one of the big ways that Americans waste money is that they spend money on things that they don't need. In In Los Angeles, we think that we believe the lie that more is better. We think that, man, if I could just get the new car, I already have 40 pairs of shoes, but this 41st pair is the thing that's going to be, then I will be happy. My dad has this saying, he's like, man, as soon as I get this, then I'll be happy. And it never makes him happy, but it's like a, it's like a joke. Uh, and if I could just have the designer brands, that would make me happy. Yes, I've got a perfectly good iPhone 10, but the 11 came out. I want the 11. And we know that this is a hard truth for Jesus followers to hear and people who might be listening in today for you to hear. But we shouldn't waste money by spending money on things that we don't need. I know this is really hard. I'm talking about impulse purchases, expensive upgrades, meals out when we could meet, eat in. We shouldn't waste our money on going into debt. Now, uh, recently, uh, Overheard LA, it's on Instagram. Uh, if you don't know what Instagram is, I'll tell you afterwards. You can, uh, uh, why don't you uh, follow me? I'll follow you back on Instagram. I'm C Meekins. That's a play on words. S-E-E Meekins. Hit me up. Um, uh, Overheard LA is something that's on Instagram. They had this wonderful quote and it says, why would you get an $8? The first person is like, why would you get an $8 latte? Second person as well. I'm fake rich and I'm really tired. <laughs> People in this town are spending money that they don't have and they're going into debt and it's ruining their lives. Debt is crushing Americans. And the time I've spent in Los Angeles, there's a lot of fake rich people, which means there's a lot of big debt. Now, statistics on American debt right now. Did you know? Average auto loan debt, 30K. Average student loan debt, if you went to school, 49K. Boom. Average credit card debt, 17 thousand dollars now credit card charges on average that's anywhere between i think somewhere between 15 and 23 percent interest that means for every dollar you spend you're getting back 77 to 85 cents friends that is not a good use of god's money we have an epidemic on our hands 
We are wasting millions of dollars. We're, many of us now think it's in, I don't know if it's this room or not, but there's millions of people walking around pretending to be fake rich, not only wasting God's money, they're destroying their lives and they're destroying their future. Why is debt bad? And I can't talk about finances and personal finances without talking about debt. Why is debt bad? Well, the, in the Bible, debt is considered a form of slavery. Look what Proverbs 22, 7 says. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Every time you take out a credit card and you won't pay it off at the end of the month, every time you take out a loan to buy a depreciating asset, every time you do that, you are putting yourself under and in a form of slavery. Borrowing money makes you a slave to the lender. There's a little Hebrew word, and here's a little Hebrew lesson for you. There's a little Hebrew word for loan or debt, and the word is habol. It's related to the word hebel. And habel means cord or rope or snare. And habel was used uh, by the Jews in the time of the Babylonian captivity. And it was used to refer those who were being led away in chains. So every time we don't pay off a credit card, the Bible is teaching us that we're like people who are being led off into captivity, into slavery. Debt is a form of slavery. It is a form of bondage. Now, I know that there's some of you here today who are facing real debt. And you're like, yes, Chris, I think about this every waking moment. I don't know how to get out from under it. I'm in over my head. It is a crisis. I don't know how to pay it off. And what do I do with it? And for those of you who are looking to get out of debt, for those of you who are looking to do something with your money in a way that's more consistent and faithful with what the Bible teaches, uh, you've got to get some help. You've got to recognize that you won't be able to probably do it on your own without education. Now, one day I hope to have these classes here offered at Pacific City Church. But for the time being, I do want to point you to a practical resource, and that is uh, Dave Ramsey. Um, Dave Ramsey, he might not like everything he has to say, but he is very much, um, he is very, and I think I have a, a screenshot of that. It's that up there. Dave Ramsey, he does something called Total Money Makeover. He's got um, a bunch of things, including Financial Peace University. Uh, and you can see, here's a screenshot of that website. And what these, this guy will do, he's, he's a lover of Jesus. He follows Jesus. Uh, and he's very conservative in helping us understand, here's how you think about money. And here's what you do with your money. And here's how you get out of debt. And so even when I had student loans, after I read Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover, uh, which is a kind of a tacky name for a book, but it's still like he provided insights that I didn't understand. And he gave us an, a, an inspirational, uh, he inspired us in, in, in an interesting way, uh, which led to us tackling student loan debt in a way that we just would have never been able to. Uh, and we paid off uh, my student loans something like 15, something like 15, 20 years early as a result of that. And that is money saved because of that interest. If you are facing crushing debt, there is a number of resources on this website, and uh, I would check it out. Because you are not meant for slavery, you are meant for freedom. You are meant for freedom. So um, don't trust money, don't love money, don't waste money. Uh, And then finally, here's the four approach. Here's the fourth one. Do invest money. Do invest money. 
the last one we see, do invest money. We invest money first by saving. Invest money by saving. Did you know that most Americans, 50%, that's not most, that's literally half, about 50% of all Americans would not be able to cover an unexpected expense of $500 or more. Did you know that? Did you know, Did you know that nearly 25% of all Americans don't have even $100 in savings? And did you know the average American makes twice as much as the average person living in Hungary? But Hungarians, their rate of savings is twice that of Americans. Now, I realize that many of us are in very different financial situations. And some of us have experienced unforeseen circumstances. Some of us are, have made mistakes and we're trying to climb out of the debt and the bad choices we've made. I understand that. And you, some of you are just struggling to get by. I recognize that. I need you to listen to me and I need you to hear me say that. I recognize where you are. And I don't want to make you feel worse than you already do. So what I'm about to say may not apply to you. But here's the reality. If you are able to get by, both you and your family, and you have a little extra, but you're not saving, you are presuming on God. In essence, you're saying, hey, I know that I'll never face an emergency. I'm never going to get laid off. I'm never going to really get sick. And no one in my family is going to get sick. I know that I'm going to get this raise. I know I'm going to get this promotion. If you could look at a chart of my life, it will go up and to the right forever. And many of us overextend ourselves financially. And we make purchases that bring us to the maximum of our spending. And the result is that we go into debt and we become guilty of the sin of presumption. Presumption means that we think we know the future when we do not know the future. Friend, be honest with yourself. Let me ask you a personal question. Are you presuming in the area of finance in your life? Are you presuming that everything's just going to be all right? Everything's going to work out? And yeah, I know you've run the numbers. and you, a, I'm talking about something different. I'm talking about maxing out your life, hoping that nothing ever goes wrong. It's not going to work for you. Saving money is essential. And again, if you want to go to the Dave Ramsey website, you can learn about that. Saving money is really important. Uh, and then lastly, how else are we supposed to invest money? This is my last point for the day. Well, you do invest money, you invest by saving money, and you also invest money uh, by giving. Look what it says in 620, Matthew 620. It says, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break into steel. How do we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven? Well, there's a commentary uh, on this written by a guy named Craig Blomberg. Craig Blomberg, and this is what he writes. He writes, in this context, however, storing up treasures in heaven focuses particularly on the compassionate use of material resources to meet others' physical and spiritual needs in keeping with, our, in keeping with the priorities of God's kingdom. In other words, I could buy the Mercedes G-Wagon. I could, or I could spend $50,000 less and I could buy clean water. Through Team World Vision. Team World Vision in the house. Anybody? Team World Vision. Or I could, I could not buy the really expensive watch. 
And I could donate some money to Charity Water, Scott Harrison's Charity Water. For every $10,000, you will provide clean water to a village for the next year. The next two years, no. Clean water for the, ne- for the, for the rest of that village's existence forever. Forever. Hey, instead of taking a $1,000 and buying a flight upgrade to some place that you've already been, you could literally buy out this Christmas Pacific City Church's Imagine LA drive, where we buy toys for children who are in home transitions who can't afford toys for Christmas. We, you could do that. Or, you know, you, you can, you know, that flight to Arizona, you could, you could get an upgrade. You could buy a Bible translation for people in a country that don't have the Bible translated for them. You can even commit to buying groceries or paying the rent for someone you know and love until they get back on their feet. Or you could take God's money and you could buy that car. The choice is yours. Jesus says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven by giving money to meet other people's needs. I'd like to close and say this. Um, this is a fun way to close, by the way. Ready? I don't know if you know this, but one day you're going to die. <laughs> you're going to be dead. <laughs> you will die. And when you die, which all of you will, imagine going to heaven. And there's like a hundred people waiting in line to see you. And they're clapping. And they're cheering you on. And they're saying, yes, we're so glad that you're here. We are so glad that you're here. You invested your money by giving to a church. And that church shared the gospel. And that's the reason why I'm here with you today. Yes, you invested your money in giving to InterVarsity staff workers who went out and shared the gospel on college campuses. And that's why my friends and I are here celebrating with you in heaven. Yes, you gave money to the people's concern, the people concern, and that money was used to help me. I was down on my luck. I was in a bad position. I came to know Jesus and I was helped from being on the ground to being up on my feet now, and I'm here with you, and it's because of that I got saved. Imagine arriving at heaven's door, and there's a hundred people clapping and cheering, saying, yes, we've waited for you. You invested your treasures in something more than a car or a new pair of clothes. You invested it in heaven. And then behind all those people, the crowd parts. And behind all those people, the parts. And Jesus comes through. And Jesus is clapping too. And Jesus is looking at you and he's smiling. And he's clapping his hands with his nail-scarred hands. And he looks at you and he embraces you. And he says, welcome, good and faithful servant. You did well. You invested in more than just yourself. You invested in my kingdom. Don't you want that? Don't you want that for your life? One day you will die and you will be held accountable. Not accountable for your sins. Those have been washed away in the Christ. Christ has taken your sins away. But you will be held accountable for what you've done with your life. And money is an opportunity for you to exercise what you actually believe. And what God may want to do. God is talking to you now about your money. Even if you don't have any, 
God is talking to you about your money. May we be people that joins God in his work, and may we steward God's money the best way that we can and in line with what God wants. Why don't we pray? God, I ask that you would uh, bless uh, people here financially. And God, I ask that you would continue to teach us about money. I ask that you would align us um, with your thoughts and ideas about it, God, in any way that you're calling us to be generous or to make changes. I ask that you would do that. So we, uh, we pause and we wait right now, God. We ask that you would do something in this room.